0: You are listening to More Than a Song, episode 234. Hello and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. One of my favorite names of God is El Roy, uh, the God who sees. And while God's sight is perfect, It's our spiritual eyes that may need attention, and we're going to talk about seeing God in everything using Toby Mac's song, Everything, as our inspiration and scripture as our teacher, and I hope that your eyes will be opened to recognize the magnificent in the midst of the mundane. I can't wait to get started, but first, let's listen. I see you in everything. Start out with a couple of brief theology lessons, and any one podcast could be on each of the topics I'm going to throw at you. In fact, whole books have been written about these topics, so don't throw stones as I try to walk you through some truths that will give you some foundational thoughts to some of the scripture we'll be soaking in today. Feel free to use this podcast as a catalyst toward future study on these topics, however. First of all, when Toby Max sings of seeing God in everything, He doesn't mean that God is everything, and that is known as pantheism, and pantheism is the view that God is everything and everyone, and that everyone and everything is God. So a tree is God, a rock is God, an animal is God, the sky is God, the sun is God, you are God. You get the idea. Pantheism is the supposition behind many cults and false religions. It shows up in Hinduism and Buddhism to an extent, various unity and unification cults and and Mother Nature worshipers, for example. And this idea is more popular these days than you think. Uh, often it's called new spirituality, and its teaching leads people to practices that make people feel at one with the universe, if you keep your eyes perked up, you will see it in television and in ads and in Facebook posts and things like that. It's not, um, it, it's it's more woven into the fabric of society than you think. But scripture does not teach pantheism. In fact, there are countless descriptions of God forbidding the worship of, of idols. And these idols are objects that represent a God or are worshipped as gods themselves. So if pantheism were true, it would not be wrong to worship such an object because that object would, in fact, be God. So that's just one logical explanation of how scripture teaches it. But in addition, it doesn't teach that God is everything, but it does teach that he is everywhere. And God is not limited in his existence by space. He actually transcends all spatial boundaries and is present Everywhere at once. And a fancy word for this truth is omnipresence. So one of my favorite psalms of all time speaks of this truth, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where where shall I free from? Flee from your presence. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now this should be a a source of tremendous encouragement and comfort to you that no matter if anyone else is with you, God is there. And even last week, we meditated on the truth that God is our very present help in time of trouble. And it's also a sobering thought, however. In every moment of temptation, in every moment of so-called private sinning, God is also there. He doesn't miss a thing. Now, God's omnipresence means he is present everywhere. There's no place in the universe where God is not present. Again, this is not the same thing as pantheism. So God is everywhere, but he is not everything. All right. So God is present inside a tree and inside a person, but that does not make that tree or person God. All right. So setting these truths as a foundation, when we sing with Toby Mac and he says, I see you in everything, It just means let's focus on our spiritual eyes, right? So we've discussed the in everything part, but let's focus on the I see you part, okay? So using scripture as a prayer, is one of my Bible interaction tool exercises. Now, I call these exercises Bites, and this is one that I used this week as I sought scripture that spoke to how we could see God more. Now, if you want to download, I have a a one-page resource of my top five Bites that you can download. You just head over to my website at michelleknizat.com and subscribe right there in the top right-hand corner, and I'll email you a a one-page resource of my top five bites. They'll be very helpful for you. But let's jump back to the one that I was talking about, which is using Scripture as prayer. So here's my prayer from Psalm 119. Um, Actually, this whole psalm is a long one, all right? So I tend to just use or study one section at a time. Because did you know that Psalm 119 is writ- written in a, an acrostic pattern? It takes each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and offers a section of eight verses for each letter. And then each line in that section begins with that letter. Isn't that neat? How beautiful would that be if I could read Hebrew? <laughs> but the section I prayed this week was Gimel. I think I said that right. I looked it up on, on the internet. Uh, verses 17 through 24. It says deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So I used this psalm, and I prayed that God would open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law so that I could see him in all of life. And one of my spiritual mentors taught me to teach my children to see God everywhere all the time, that his hand was always at work. And that's really what this song is singing about. And I think sometimes people think that's really kooky sounding, you know, to see God's favor in a parking spot or in delicious food or finding lost keys. But if I believe he is everywhere and I believe that he is for me and I believe that he is a very present help in time of trouble, why won't I be able to see him in everything? His hand is always at work, and because we're not looking, we miss it. So how we view the world is called our world view it's the lens through which we view everything it helps us make sense of everything that's going on around us and a biblical worldview is important because god is creator and he is the source of all truth. so he gets to define for us how what we're seeing okay the problem is when we seek to make sense of the world around us based on what we think seems best or what makes sense to us have you heard uh follow your heart i mean i heard it My family and I, we like to watch Hallmark movies and I heard it and it made me cringe and I can't watch Hallmark movies the same because this whole follow your heart business is terrible advice because God's word teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And it goes on to ask the question, who can know it? Well, the answer to this rhetorical question is only God. And how about this example when John says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew better. He knew the people better than they knew themselves, and he knew they were no good. So that is why I want you to study scripture. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you view the world. Sometimes it'll force it, and it'll make you a little bit uncomfortable. There is a caveat, however. You must be born again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it teaches us that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And the Spirit the Scripture is talking about is the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus told Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He says it again this way a little bit later. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So as a born again believer studying the word of God, it will change the way you think and it will change the way you view the world. You'll begin to see the kingdom of God. You'll begin to see God in everything. Now, I know normally we sit in a particular section of Scripture, and I am heading to a small section of Scripture now, but I wanted to lay that foundation for us before we head over to 1 Timothy 4. In fact, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, Paul teaches that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And in chapter 4, that everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So it makes sense to believe that we can see God in everything, in nature, in relationships, in circumstances, in answered prayer, in unanswered prayer, in suffering, in elation. We can experience the magnificent in the mundane. We can worship God in all of life. We can see him in everything. But Paul is going to warn Timothy that there may be those who want to take away the beauty of God in everything. And he's also going to give us some crucial guidelines. So let's head over to 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later, in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer now what do you observe in these 5 verses i want you to write down your observation that is a wonderful bite the bible interaction tool exercise is to to write things down in a journal or write things down on a piece of paper don't just mentally make notes of your observations but write them down. Another bite I used as I sought to consider the words of this section is to slow down and ask questions. So the Spirit expressly says something about what will happen. When? When is is this going to happen? In later times, it says. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe we are in the later times. So my ears perk up as I wonder if I've seen what's described here. And first, it says some will depart from the faith. How? How will they depart from the faith? What leads them to depart from the faith? Well, they devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What? I mean, how could they do that? How would someone who has devoted themselves to faith in God turn and devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons? Wouldn't they know better? Well, I don't think the teachings they turn to have like the Satan logo on the cover, if you know what I mean. I mean, right in the words of the scripture, it says that the spirits are deceitful. So they aren't going to come right out and say, hey, this is opposed to the word of God and I'm a demon and I'm telling you this. We've already talked, you know, about how spiritual sounding ideas seep their way into the fabric of our society, but are in fact completely false. So the demons are actually using people. And the people are described here as insecure liars whose consciences are seared, meaning their consciences have been desensitized to moral pangs. And in my daily reading, I've, I've been in Jeremiah lately, and man, does it come up over and over again how the prophets and priests of that time lied and had no thought to the things of God, yet spoke as if they did. Listen to this in Jeremiah 23. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are making you worthless. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, The Lord has said you will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, No harm will come to you. I did not send these prophets, yet they ran with a message. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. If they had really stood in my counsel, they would have enabled my people to hear my words and would have turned them back from their evil ways and their evil deeds. Now, this should cause you to sit up a little straighter and consider the sources that you heed. There are actually people in the world today that claim to speak for God, but do not And the best way for you to discern this is to have a firm grasp of scripture for yourself so that you can see when they are twisting it for their own aim or for the aim of the devil, whose demons are obviously at work. So these particular people that Paul is warning of, these insecure liars who are no longer sensitive to the prompts of their conscience, much less the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they were forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from certain foods. So, Paul sees this as a red flag. Why? Well, because God created marriage and food to be, quote, received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. God called these things good way back in Genesis. So, it should cause us to pause if someone says it's not good. Does this mean that God may not call an individual to abstain from marriage or food for a season or a particular reason? No, I'm not saying that, and neither is Paul. You know, he was not married, by the way. But these liars were leading their new devoted followers down a path that was directly opposed to God's word. And if you are following a source that you find yourself making excuses for when they are consistently teaching things that are not biblical, you may be on a slippery slope. So let's go back to the root teaching by Paul In verse four, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So let's take eating for a moment. Eating in and of itself is not worship, but based on what Paul teaches here, it can become worship when it is received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So eating becomes worship through knowing And believing and thanking. So the created world is not an end in itself. It finds its meaning when people created in God's image use it with a mind that knows God and a heart that believes in and thanks God. So we can see God in the food we eat because He created it. And it is good. In fact, let's bring it back around to what we learned about pantheism. To enjoy the juiciness of a peach or the sweetness of honey is to enjoy God. I read that this week. Um, Not because the peach is God or the honey is God, but because that kind of sweetness and pleasantness is indeed in God and from God. And he communicates his sweetness to us through his creation. So as we are aware of God in everything, let us receive what we see with thanksgiving. Because as scripture teaches here, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So then my next question is, but how is it made holy? It says it's made holy. So uh, how is what we're eating, for example, set apart for God's special use, right? So to, something to be holy, it is set apart for God's special use. How is our suffering set apart for God's special use? How is our appreciation of nature set apart for God's special use? Well, Paul teaches it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So let's allow the spirit to train our eyes to see God in everything, because he is indeed everywhere, that everything created by God would not be rejected, but considered good and set apart through the truth of his word. And his guiding through prayer. So what's next? Well, we sort of went a little deeper this week. Your eyes may have glazed over a bit as we summarized pantheism and God's omnipresence. You could study further on these topics. Perhaps soak in Psalm 139 as you consider it. There's a lot more to see in 1 Timothy 4 if you are willing to sit and ponder the truths there. More than anything, my prayer for you is found in Psalm 119.20, that your soul would be consumed with longing for God's Word at all times, and that you would spend time with God as you spend time in His Word. And I also pray that the Spirit will open all of our spiritual eyes to see Him in everything. And then while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, Michelle at MichelleNizat.com. Hop on Twitter at Nizette or Facebook, MichelleLNizat.com. And let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank the premier Christian music streaming service, TheOverflow.com, for pointing their subscribers to this podcast. But more importantly, pointing them to God's word through music. When you subscribe to their trial, you will receive a 10-day series of devotions I wrote based on some of my most popular podcast episodes. So I encourage you to check them out at TheOverflow.com. And I want to thank my newest subscribers to my website, like Seth from New York, Sunny from Iowa, Mike from Texas, and Laurie from Texas, welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website will benefit from that one-page resource that I talked about earlier with the top five bites that I've used on the podcast. They are a great place to start. And subscribers will also benefit from an email I send once a week. In that email, you will get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. And you get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the extra resources I create for my episodes from time to time. All of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to MichelleNeesat.com to subscribe today. Now, there are so many ways to listen to the podcast. We are now featured on Joy 103.1 every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. And as always, we are on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio. You can also subscribe in iTunes, and that is the place where you can leave me a star rating and a written review which encourages me greatly, of course, but is also a way that helps me stay visible to new listeners. So I would really appreciate it if you'd head over to iTunes and do that for me. As always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using What a Friend by Matt Maher to jump into scripture. If you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 234. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.